Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about Lansing today and the Democratic majority that's going to take over in January. How will the governor and legislature pursue their agenda, but also hold on to the independent voters and moderate Dems who helped produce their first lock on state government in 40 years? Paul Egan of the Free Press has been writing about it, and we'll also hear from two members of the new majority, Veronica Kleinfeld and Kevin Pertell, who won in swing districts. That's next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. And as always, I'm really glad that you have joined us. So we all know that Michigan is a pretty purple state. Not red, not blue, but kind of a mix of the two. And that means when one party has control of many of the branches of government, it can be really hard to keep that power for too long. It also means that it's difficult to carry majorities in all branches of government. But that's where we stand right now. Because of the consequences of the elections last week, Democrats have control of the governor's office, both chambers of the legislature, the state Supreme Court, and the two other statewide elected offices in Michigan, Attorney General and Secretary of State. And Look, that means they have an unusual ability to enact their agenda. But what do you prioritize first? What do voters really want? And could an overreach result in a backlash, sending moderate Democrats and independents who were key to last week's big election win scattering away from the party? We've got a little bit of history to remind us of what could happen. The last time Democrats had control of the legislature and the governor's office about 40 years ago, they kind of messed things up. They were dealing with enormous unemployment numbers and a state budget that was carrying a deficit. So they figured the solution was to immediately raise taxes. But Voters were not really enthusiastic about that, and it didn't work out. The Democrats lost their majority in the legislature after Governor Jim Blanchard was in office for just about a year. The result was long-standing. Republican John Angler became the new Senate majority leader and would go on to challenge Jim Blanchard as governor in 1990 and beat him. So what are the lessons that Democrats today have learned from that period? And will they fall into similar traps now as they did then? It's a question that a lot of folks in Lansing are asking, even as lots of people who have waited for a really long time for Democrats to have control are lining up their ducks trying to get in front of the new Speaker of the House, or the Senate Majority Leader, or the Governor, to say, look, it's our time. We can get this done now. It's a real tense situation, and it will get much more fraught with anxiety once January comes and the new legislature takes its seats. Detroit Free Press writer Paul Egan doesn't think, though, that Democrats will step into the same traps now as they did 40 years ago. He thinks that the political conditions have improved for Democrats and that they are generally more cautious today than they were in the early 1980s. He recently wrote about all of this in a piece titled Democratic Control in Lansing Didn't Last Long in 1983, Why This Time Might Be Different. Paul, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. 
So I, I really loved reading your article because I've been thinking about uh, 1983 quite a bit for the last uh, for the last week and uh, uh, thinking about what happened then. Now I was 12 in 1983, so I was not covering all of this, uh, and and there aren't many people around who were. But I love that you went back and took a close look at what actually happened. So. Um, let's talk about what happened in, in 1983, the last time Democrats had that much power, how things played out and why you think this time will be different. Right. Well, Governor Blanchard inherited a terrible hand from former Governor, Governor Milliken. You know, Milliken had a lot of um, positive traits, but you know, one of the things Blanchard concluded was that he was using a lot of accounting gimmicks and tricks to hide how bad the state's financial situation was. Also, you know, unemployment was double digit, so we had hundreds of millions of dollars in deficits. And uh, and uh, the new governor, who, you know, the, the the Democrats had already controlled both the House and Senate, so it was a little different from this situation. What was new was the Michigan uh, Democratic governor coming in, and he concluded that. Um, we needed a significant increase in the personal income tax and uh, a lot of trouble ensued. Yeah. So what's different between now and then, as you point out, uh, Democrats already had control of the legislature and and had learned pretty well to work with uh, Governor Milliken, who was a Republican, but who was a pretty moderate Republican. But as you point out, there were some pretty big problems looming that they hadn't solved and that some people thought they hadn't even paid much attention to. Uh, talk about the situation now where you've got an incumbent uh, Democratic governor, uh, but who will who has worked for the last four years uh, with the opposition in the legislature. Right. And Governor Whitmer's got a huge budget surplus. They've got you know they've got about seven billion dollars left over from the last session that they haven't even spent yet so the you know the the economic situation couldn't be much different the economy's still in pretty good shape although there's there's certainly uh, looming warning signs of, a, of an impending recession but you know right now um the governor's in in a, a much better position than governor blanchard was another really big difference is um you know what 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 lost Blanchard's majority in the Senate was recalls of two Democratic senators, one in Oakland County, one in Macomb County. You know, even if you know, which isn't going to happen if 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 Governor Whitner and the legislature had to do something radical like a like a big tax increase, the chances of a recall happening today are almost you know, very remote because under Governor Snyder, the Republicans basically gutted the recall law. It's very much more difficult to recall a state lawmaker than it was in Blanchard's time. Hmm. So, so let's talk about then what the agenda ends up looking like for Governor Whitmer and the and the legislature. The the, the trick here is something of. Uh, threading a needle, I think, that that you've got to deliver for the party that is now in, part of, in, in, in power. And there's a lot of pent-up expectation uh, among the Democratic Party because they haven't had power in Lansing for, for such a long time. And I, I've heard from lots of different interests uh, in the state about what's on their wish list, uh, you know, what, what they expect the, 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 the governor and the legislature to get after once they are in power uh, in January. At the same time, you know, it's a pretty slim majority and lots of that majority and in some very key districts, that majority owes to the presence of so-called independent voters, uh, people who who go back and forth, right? They vote for Republicans sometimes, they vote for Democrats sometimes, and if you don't keep them happy, uh, you won't hold the majority for for a very long time. So, what does the the threading of the needle look like this time? I guess that that Blanchard and the legislature failed to accomplish back then. 
Yeah, you've described it well, uh, Stephen. It's it's kind of bizarre in a way, but Governor Whitmer may find it more difficult to govern with majorities in both chambers than she found it to govern, you know, with Republican majorities in both chambers because you do have these two competing dynamics. You know, um, you know, uh, Progress Michigan, a, a, a liberal group in Michigan. Uh, you know, Sam Inglot of that tweeted, you know, now is the time to blow past them all gas, no brakes, mm. and then. You you have, you know, people that have been around in the legislature for a little while, like Senator Erica Geis saying, you know, our majorities are very small. We've got to, we've got to be almost surgical. We got to pick our fights. And and those two positions are going to come into conflict. The one thing I would say though, Stephen, about, about Governor Blanchard is, you know, I, I, I don't think it really, at least arguably, it was not a sense where he overreached and Democrats overreached. You know, the thing to remember, Republicans, and this shows how different the times are, but Republicans were were ready to sign on to the same income tax in, increase that he was pushing. They, they, they got into a conflict. Blanchard didn't want any strings attached to it. Republicans wanted a, a sunset date on the mm -hmm. income tax increase. And, and so that kind of fell apart. And of course, it ended up being made temporary anyway. But, but I, I do think you know, it wasn't really, at least arguably, it wasn't a case of Blanchard and Democrats coming in and overreaching as, as so much as they were dealing with a crisis and Blanchard, who was by his own admission much more inexperienced than Governor Whitmer, maybe didn't handle it as well as he should have. Hmm. I'm talking with Paul Egan. Uh, he covers uh, state politics and government for the Detroit Free Press. Uh, he recently wrote a piece titled Democratic Control in Lansing Didn't Last Long in 1983. Why this time might be different. We're talking about this new Democratic majority that is coming together uh, as we speak and getting ready to take the reins in Lansing for the first time in 40 years uh, come January. What will they be able to do with uh, pretty slim margins and with an electorate that, yes, handed them control but is full of voters uh, who kind of go back and forth, uh, sometimes vote for Republicans, sometimes vote for Democrats. Uh, there will be a lot of expectations on the governor and the legislature from uh, interest groups, uh, the liberal interest groups, who have waited a really long time to get things done in Lansing and have been thwarted by the fact that the Democrats didn't have control. Uh, but they will also be under pressure from those moderates and independents who say, well, I don't want you going too far. Don't get too crazy. Uh, in some ways, it might be described as a majority if they can keep it, uh, if I might borrow from the famous Ben Franklin line about uh, about the beginning of uh, our republic. We want to hear from you during the conversation, too. Uh, give us a call and tell us what you make of the new Democratic majority and what you expect to have them get done. What do you think they should be prioritizing? What do you think they should maybe be more skittish about prioritizing? What kinds of things do you think they could do that could improve things here in the state for people? Uh, but uh, what kind of things should they avoid to, to, to not anger uh, independents who, who may flee to the Republican Party in, in two years when, when we do all of this election thing all over again? Uh, in a little bit, we are going to talk to two people who won in swing districts. Uh, Veronica Kleinfeld uh, is a Macomb County Commissioner. She is uh, state senator-elect for District 11. If you watch TV at all in the last two or three months, you saw lots of ads uh, about her race on both sides. Also, uh, Kevin Hertel, who's the current state rep for the 18th House, House District, and he is senator-elect for District 12, uh, also in Macomb County. Uh, he, he'll join us as well. Also, lots of commercials about uh, about that race. There was a reason that both parties were really focused on it because they knew it would be close, uh, and Democrats certainly knew that uh, those two seats would be key uh, to the majority that they wanted to put together. Uh, again, give us a call on the phones three one three five seven seven one zero one nine to get let us know how you're thinking about all of this and uh, uh, what you would like to see Democrats do. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can try to include you in the program uh, that way. Paul, before we get to, to listeners, you talked with uh, Jim Blanchard. Uh, I, I wonder what his advice was for uh, for Governor Whitmer and the legislature, and, and how does he look back on 
the things that he did uh, that that voters uh, that voters were so unhappy with. Right. Well, I I specifically asked him about his advice for Governor Whitmer, and you know he basically said, you know, he he didn't want to he didn't want to do that. That that you know whatever they wanted to decide to do, he thought it was a a, a huge opportunity for them, something we've never seen you know, in generations, really, like he felt it was a much better opportunity than what he had. Mm -hmm. Governor Blanchard also, you know, pointed to the fact that, you know, that he came in with experience in Congress and he'd also worked for the state attorney general's office, but he'd never been in the state legislature, certainly had never been governor. And he said, look, Governor Whitmer's got all this experience in the legislature. She's also got four years as governor under her belt. You know, she's going to be in a position to handle this properly that I wasn't. So I thought that was interesting that, um, you know, that in addition to pointing out the, you know, the much worse hand that he was dealt. He also feels that uh, Governor Whitmer's in a much better position to handle this opportunity than he was. Yeah. Uh, some of the popular issues that people are already talking about in Lansing, and we had uh, the incoming speaker, Joe Tate, with us yesterday on the program. He talked about the earned income tax credit, uh, repealing the retirement tax, boosting education funding. Uh, these seem to me like the kinds of things that uh, would be popular uh, with people. I think uh, given the, the the problems we're having with inflation in the economy, uh, taking money out of people's wallets, those are at least a couple things that would put money into their wallets. But, but what kinds of other things uh, will the governor and legislature want to focus on in that first six months, six to 12 month uh, uh, window to try to, to try to make a statement maybe about what they're willing to do and 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 how they they plan to deliver on on this mandate yes Stephen. um the ones you mentioned definitely i i think are kind of the low-hanging fruit that that is there another another one that will fall into that category is repealing the 1931 abortion law even mm -hmm. though proposal three has passed i think they want to get that off the books so that uh you can never sort of rear its head again you know what's going to get interesting is issues like right to work. There's a there's a lot of a lot of desire among many Democrats, certainly union members, to repeal that. How exactly would it work? I doubt they could make it re retroactive. Probably it would be for, you know, for going forward. But but that I mean, you remember what the fight was like to bring that in. I don't think the fight to repeal it would be quite as as great. But you're talking about something there that would expend a lot of political capital. But it would it would also make a statement. It's an important, a very important principle for for Democrats. Uh, you know, the, they've talked about um, ethics and and uh, transparency, especially after the the Lee Chatfield scandal. Mm -hmm. I would expect them to make some moves on that. Also, probably conduct uh, numerous investigations into exactly what went on under Chatfield. Um, you know, a really interesting one to me, Stephen, and we had an article today was. You know, the governor is whatever else you can say about her. She's a very pragmatic politician. She's not as ideological, perhaps, as a lot of a lot of the lawmakers are. And she's concerned, like business is concerned, about this this big increase in the minimum wage, and particularly the the wage for tipped workers that's now scheduled to go into effect early next year. And she's talking about you know, she's sympathetic to wanting to slow down the the increase in the minimum wage, which isn't exactly something you typically hear from a Democrat. And, and I interviewed her yesterday. She said, you know, it might actually make sense if we could get that done in lame duck, something that she feels she might have a better chance with a Republican legislature to get it done than, than, than with Democrats. So it's really going to be an interesting session. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Big Neo on Twitter says Democrats have to be a qu careful to avoid an overreach. They should also focus on things that affect both sides. The gas tax, safe streets, and creating world-class public schools is something all citizens can get behind. 
regardless of party. Uh, Paul, that that reminds me of the other side of the coin here. Uh, there are still lots of Republicans uh, who will hold office uh, in, in Lansing. Uh, they, they will not be in charge for the first time in a long time, uh, but they will want to try to get some things done too. What would their agenda look like and how would they, I guess, how, how will they adjust to this idea of uh, not being not being in charge, it, it'll be a new it'll be a new situation for for everybody who's in Lansing uh, at, at this point, given term limits. Yes, Stephen, it's going to be a big adjustment for Republicans, especially because right now their party is kind of in in flux and in conflict over you know the whole situation with, with former President Trump and and you know factions in the party and and you know who's really going to be calling the shots going forward the state republican party is really in a in a mess right now so um you know there were some interesting statements right after the election about being the loyal opposition um I, you know we're really going to we're really going to have to wait and see how this plays out but one thing that's pretty certain is with a 56 to 54 advantage in the House and a 2018 advantage in the Senate. Governor Whitmer is going to need Republican votes to get a lot of things passed. I mean, you because Democrats are not going to walk in lockstep, and and I think that leaves opening for negotiations on on you know certain things that uh, Republicans want. You know, they certainly are interested in tax cuts, more tax relief, which you know, which again, because the the state surplus is mostly one-time money, may not be something the governor is willing to go along with, but certainly. You mentioned earned income tax credit, getting rid of the retirement tax, and and you know possibly there may be some some leeway for the governor and Republicans to agree on some further tax relief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go back to the phones here, Robert and Taylor. Uh, quickly, Robert, what's on your mind? I'd like to know when the prosecution for Floyd is going to happen. They mm. knew for two years that then people were being poisoned. They intentionally kept going. All right. And it was a terrorist assault. They profited, Republicans profited politically or financially by what they did. Yeah, Robert, that's a great question, given that we recently saw the the, the remaining criminal charges in uh, in that case have to be dropped for procedural reasons, really. Um, but but Paul, this is an issue I hear from a lot of Democrats. They they, they really do want to. Um, see some sort of, uh, I guess, criminal justice uh, delivered in in uh, the Flint water crisis. Uh, what's the possibility that a Democratic majority gets that done in a more, uh, I guess, a more enthusiastic way than before? It seems very unlikely. Attorney General Dana Nessel has said she is appealing the, you know, the the latest rulings that. Um, that dismissed the criminal charges, but it doesn't look like she's on very solid legal ground. At least we can say that it's going to be a real stretch to to get that done. And now we've got a situation where statutes of limitations have expired. Um, you know, the Democrats can pass legislation, but they can't really make it ret- retroactive to, you know, to things that happened a number of years ago. So, you know, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything absolutely definitive. I would say that it's looking less and less likely that anyone will ever be successfully criminally prosecuted for what happened in Flint. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Paul Egan, great story about uh, the differences and comparisons between now and 1983. And thanks for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to start talking with some of the people who make up this new Democratic majority in Lansing. We're going to talk to two people who were elected in districts uh, where the margins were pretty narrow and where uh, Democrats were not sure that they would uh, end up winning. Veronica Kleinfeld will join us next. She's a state senator-elect in District 11. And then uh, Kevin Hertel, who is state senator-elect for District 12, will join us as well. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.
WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. On this show, you hear a lot about the politics of people here in Southeast Michigan, and I have to admit, a lot of our coverage includes the perspectives of Oakland County and Detroit residents. That's where we lean really heavily here on Detroit today. But Macomb County is just as an important piece of the region in our state. Uh, Democrats now have a majority in the state House and Senate, and they had to get that majority by winning seats in Macomb along with the other counties. That did happen last Tuesday in uh, at least two races that were uh, pretty much toss-ups going into the election. And today we want to know, how did the Democrats in those districts do it? What are the issues that Macomb voters care about the most? And what does a Macomb Democrat look like today? Remember, Macomb County is the home, the original home of the Reagan Democrats. It's where that term was coined back in the 1980s. And it reflects the both the working class roots of folks in Macomb County, but uh, also the kind of conservative values that many of them have. In this election, it seems that uh, those Reagan Democrats, uh, to the extent that they still exist, voted for Democrats in many of the races. We want to know what it is that's on their minds and what they expect from this new Democratic Majority. A little later, we are going to talk with Kevin Hertel, who is the current state rep for the 18th House District and state senator-elect for District 12. He won by a razor-thin margin uh, in his Macomb County District. But right now, we're going to speak with Veronica Kleinfeld. She is a Macomb County commissioner and now state senator-elect for District 11, which covers parts of Macomb County and parts of Detroit. Remember, we now have a number of districts and more districts than we have perhaps ever before that stretch across 8 Mile and Telegraph and uh, the city's other borders to include other communities. Uh, State Senator-elect Kleinfeld, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. And and congratulations uh, on your win uh, last week. As I was saying to our listeners earlier, uh, these two races, if you watched television at all in the last two or three months, uh, I, I feel like I know everything about uh, about the issues in your race because there were nonstop commercials about it on both sides, uh, uh, commercials for your candidacy and, and then, of course, uh, commercials against. Uh, but let's talk a little about your district uh, and your campaign. As I said, your district covers portions of Detroit as well as Macomb County, areas that are kind of divergent politically with uh, some of the areas of Macomb being a little more conservative and some of the areas of Detroit being more progressive. So uh, tell me about how you put together a campaign to appeal to voters all across that district uh, and what issues you feel resonated. Well, you know, you're correct that the northern end of my district is um, predominantly red and the southern end is predominantly blue. But what everybody has in common is their sense of community and the importance they tie to how their communities thrive. So I campaigned on you know healthy school districts because they are the hub of most of these communities, investing in the school districts. I'm a big infrastructure gal, investing in infrastructure all over the place and investing in things that um, increase the quality of life in a community. And because I believe if you do that, you uh, retain your workforce and you increase your business aspects as well. Hmm. And so you feel like those were the issues that uh, that brought people out, both Democrat and Republican to to deliver a win for you last week? 
I, I think people came out for all sorts of reasons, but ultimately when I was knocking the doors, no matter where I was knocking, those were issues that were important to them and resonated with them. And um, I was talking about things that they seemed to be excited to hear about. So so this district, as I pointed out, uh, is is something of a newish phenomenon here in, in southeast Michigan, This these shared districts across across municipal borders and across county borders uh, in, in some case. Uh, talk about the expectations, I guess, uh, that that might differ uh, from Detroiters in your district and, and, and folks in Macomb County, many of whom uh, are people who left the city uh, to live in, in another place. I, I imagine that's a different challenge um, than, than many of the people in the legislature have faced before. Well, because of the nature of these districts, what I found knocking doors in Detroit was that it was just important to them that if I'm elected, I remain present there. And um, we were very present during the um, during the campaigning part of this. And I intend to remain very present throughout my term. I live in East Point, which is relatively close to Detroit. Well, it borders Detroit. So um, I plan to be very present there. And then being a county commissioner, I've already been um, working on issues that affect everybody in Macomb County and services that affect everybody in Macomb County. So I think I will be focusing on things that the residents in the entirety of the district um, see as a priority, but also recognizing that aging communities need investment um, because uh, the key to revitalizing all of Detroit and Metro Detroit area is to revitalize our aging communities. Mm. So, so um, the the new majority in Lansing is going to be pretty narrow, and there are, I think, some natural tensions that will exist between, for instance, uh, liberal uh, interests and and groups that have waited a really long time to get power in Lansing to be able to enact some of the things that are important to them and uh, folks who who voted for this new majority but don't consider themselves particularly liberal or maybe not even Democrats, right? There are a lot of Republicans, I think, who, who crossed over. A lot of people consider themselves independents who helped deliver this majority. I wonder in your mind uh, how you balance that, those things, how you balance the expectation that uh, that this majority should produce different outcomes than we've seen and more wins for liberals. But, of course, you want to hang on to that majority and you've got to be careful not to, to alienate uh, other voters. Well, I think it's very important um, that we come together and get behind things that we all agree on first, out of the gate. I think... Um, we all have uh, philosophies that align, and I don't see any reason to start out with any tensions. Um, I'm interested in hearing what everybody that has been there for a while and has wanted to make change, what it is they're looking to do. I'm hoping to come in and do a little bit of learning before I jump in and start throwing my weight around. I, I think that that would be the appropriate thing to do. And ultimately, I keep in mind, I represent this district and I represent the people of this district and the philosophy of this district. So I think the best case scenario is we first find common ground and move forward with that and and then maybe tackle some of the tougher issues a little bit down the road. And I don't know that there are that many of them. Yeah. So uh, the the economic issues are the things that I think I'm hearing from lots of people. I mean, people are really anxious about inflation, if not uh, about the overall economy. Um, what kinds of things do you think you can do in Lansing uh, that will address those issues? The, those are issues that, of course, resonate in Detroit as much as they do in Macomb County. I think there are some things we can look at, like the pension tax and things like that, well, that will give a little bit of relief, maybe uh, help with early childhood learning, 
um, because, you know, ultimately, if you invest in a child early on, you pay less down the road as they go through school. Uh, I've served on a school board and I've seen that time and time again. The resources that you have to spend later on um, are um, far less significant if a child is ready when they hit the ground running. Uh, so issues like that that resonate with everybody and can help people with things like inflation, I think that's a good start. Um, and ultimately, I'm a big believer that we need to pay folks uh, for the work that they do and, and properly pay them and fairly pay them. We've had a lot of uh, record-breaking profits over the years, and we've seen stagnant wages in middle-income areas. And I just think if we want to be successful, everybody from the top guy all the way down, everybody's job has to be valued and rewarded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Veronica Kleinfeld. Uh, she is the state senator-elect for District 11 in Lansing, which uh, covers parts of Macomb County and parts of Detroit. She's one of uh, the new members of the Democratic majority, that first Democratic majority in the state Senate in 40 years. We're talking about uh, her win in Macomb County, but also what's on the agenda for Democrats when they do get power in January. We, of course, want to hear from you, the listeners, uh, while we're having this discussion. Give us a call. Let us know uh, what you think about this Democratic majority. Are you someone who lives in the 11th district and will be represented by Veronica Kleinfeld in January. Um, what do you expect out of this new um, Democratic majority? What are the kinds of issues that are on your mind? What do you think they can do about some of the challenges that we have? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to uh, Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to add another voice to this conversation, Kevin Hertel, who is state senator-elect in District 12, also in Macomb County, also a pretty tight race uh, in last Tuesday's elections. We'll hear about his win and his agenda. Also continue to hear from you on the phones and on Twitter. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. On 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the new Democratic majority that's coming together in Lansing in January. Right now, we're talking to two members of that new uh, Democratic majority. Veronica Kleinfeld was the winner in uh, State Senate District 11, which covers parts of Macomb County and Detroit. Also, want to introduce another member of that majority, Kevin Hertel is the current state rep representative for the 18th House District and is now the state senator-elect for District 12. Kevin, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And as always, uh, remember, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we could include you in the conversation that way. Kevin, uh, I want to talk to you a bit about your race. Boy, that was pretty close. Couldn't have been much closer, but uh, but you were the victor in the end. Uh, talk about the message that you think put you over the top. Well, we knew very early on in this race that it was always going to be close and that we had to go out and earn uh, every single vote. And you know, from the beginning, knocking doors in the spring of this year, uh, we realized very quickly that folks were not looking at candidates strictly as Democrats or Republicans. Uh, they were looking for individuals who had a record of getting things done uh, and had a plan uh, to fix the issues that are facing our communities. Uh, and we're sick of the divisive rhetoric, the culture wars that have attempted to pit all of us against each other. Uh, and why not folks that were really going to sit down and solve problems? And so once we realized that, we knew we had to go out and have those conversations directly with voters 
And uh, really, that's what we did. We took uh, our campaign message directly to uh, the doorsteps of voters across our districts and made over 122,000 individual uh, voter contacts uh, and, you know, showed up every day with the intent of going out, having these tough conversations and making sure that folks knew that we were willing to come to the table in a way to solve problems. Mm. Uh, as I've said a couple times during the, the show today, the, the ads in not just your race, but also in uh, Veronica Kleinfeld's race, were just nonstop uh, on my television, at least uh, for the last couple of months, and they were pretty, they were pretty vicious. Um, uh, talk about the the things that you think um, maybe turned voters off about um, about you or your opponent, g- given the, the the nastiness, I guess, of this of this campaign. And look, I mean, this was a this was a key seat for either side. Uh, both had to have it, obviously. I think to to, to think about a majority, but uh, but there was something unusual, I guess, about the ads this cycle, not just from the, the campaigns, but uh, these third party ads that were that were so nasty. Yeah, I mean, it got to the point where my uh, my wife wouldn't even turn the TV on anymore, and I think one of the hardest things for me was when my five year old son uh, was watching a, a show on YouTube, and before his show or during a break. Uh, an ad, a negative ad on me came up. Um, and he had questions about that. Uh, he is old enough to understand that it was, uh, it was not a good ad. It wasn't talking about uh, good work that I had done. And, you know, frankly, we saw this across the state in many races, Veronica and mine uh, included. But, uh, you know, I pushed every day to try to get some more positive messaging up because I was hearing at the doors that that's what voters really wanted to see. Mm. What are you going to do to make our lives better, to improve our communities? And so we were able to get some of that up on our side, and I think that was actually a a definitive factor in this race. Um, My opponent uh, had very little positive messaging up. I mean, it was the entire campaign was built on the idea that you had to vote against me, not vote for somebody else. And I think voters are sick of that type of rhetoric. They want to they want to see candidates uh, that are going to actually deliver for the communities and not just vote against something. And and frankly, the the ads that they had up against me were just uh, you know ludicrous to the point where uh, they were throwing anything at the wall to see if it would stick. Um, and I, I think voters see through that. They're smart enough to understand uh, that those are built for a reason. And uh, like I said, they want to see uh, what you're going to actually do. Mm-hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Kyle in Ypsilanti. Kyle, go ahead. Hi. I'm uh, wondering if um, part of any of the agenda of the representatives present has anything to do with uh, giving resources to felons post-release. Mm. Macomb County is tough county to be in if you're a felon um you know washington has had good luck with banning the box and things like that and i'm wondering you know with all the emphasis on getting folks into prison in this campaign cycle if anywhere on the agenda you have um some resources to help folks get jobs to help folks get housing to help folks stay out of prison once they're out yeah it's a great question uh, kyle it's an issue that as you point out is not just a big deal in Macomb, but but all over the state. Uh, Veronica Kleinfeld, I'll start I'll start with you, and then get to Kevin Hertel. Uh, it hasn't been something that uh, people raised with me uh, on the doors, but it's not something I'm opposed to looking at. Uh, as a commissioner, right now we're redoing our entire jail intake system because we want to lower the number of people that are being incarcerated due to mental health issues or substance use issues. And um, I think that's very important, but you're correct. There are folks that are already in that need uh, need to get their foot in the door back into society coming out. So I'm open to um, listening and looking at the uh, types of legislation that would come forward in that area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kevin, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, this is something that I've always been passionate about, and the fact that I think we need to look at um, making sure our criminal justice system is more humane um, and that the tax dollars that we're spending are used um, in the most efficient way possible. And I think we know that if 
agree wholeheartedly with Veronica, the front end of this, to make sure that we are investing to make sure uh, through the Macomb County jail intake system, which we have fought to get an appropriation at the state level for in recent years, uh, that will make sure if somebody comes into contact with the criminal justice system who has a substance abuse issue or a mental health issue, that that's being treated, uh, that we are not just locking somebody away and allowing those problems to become worse. And I think we have to make sure when we provide those services and invest in people across our community and we make them better citizens uh, near the end. So I, 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 there's no doubt that it's something we have to focus on. Uh, it is better for our community. Uh, when everybody does better, we all do better. And uh, so we, uh, I think, can look at real policies, and I'm, I'd be happy to talk with anybody uh, willing to sit down and address some of these problems. I'm not saying I have all the answers. Uh, I think as politicians we have to do a very good job of understanding what we can do to make this better and uh, find ways to focus on that. Mm, yeah. Uh, we've got a, a couple of questions on uh, on Twitter uh, about auto no-fault, uh, something that we took a crack at in Lansing a couple of years back and that I don't know that there are many people who are very happy with it. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of folks in the last week ask questions about whether we need to take another crack at it and do better for consumers. Uh, Kevin, what's what's your take on that? I think this is a conversation that's going to have to be had early on with uh, our leadership. Uh, the governor has been, uh, I think, pretty clear that she is willing to look at a fix uh, to make sure that those who need uh, the care are getting the care that they, uh, that they were promised. Uh, and I've had many conversations with folks across my district uh, currently and across the state um, that have been impacted by the new law. Now, the court has ruled uh, to provide that care to anybody uh, before that was in the Catastrophic Claims Association before uh, the new law was put in place. I think we need to make there are families out there that are struggling today uh, to provide this care to their loved ones, and they're getting less care than they had under the previous system, and we need to make sure that that's addressed. And I, you know, that's going to have to be a conversation. Uh, between the Senate, the House, and the governor's office of how we can actually um, get to a solution here. But I think you have willing partners in all of those who will come to the table, uh, have an honest conversation, and, uh, you know, address some of the needs uh, that are out there today. Mm, yeah. Uh, Veronica, what, what, what do you think we could do to, to lower prices? That's the thing that everyone was looking forward to, and it just hasn't happened for a lot of folks. You know, I don't have the answer to that, but I will tell you, this was one of the number one things that people talked to me on the doors about, which actually surprised me. Hmm. Be, uh, between um, family members of somebody that's been injured, um, workers that are being displaced because of the compensation of the workers that go into the home and businesses going out of business because of that compensation. Not only do we have to take care of those folks, but we now have a shortage of the people that can take care of those folks because of that aspect of it. I really do want to take a good look at that because ultimately we've got to have people in those homes taking care of those folks. And um, when they when they originally were paying insurance, that was the agreement and uh, it was sort of broken and um it, it, it may be getting corrected in the on the legal side, but ultimately, if all of those companies are going out of business, we've got a problem and we have to take a look at that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's quickly go to Dave in Farmington. Dave, uh, we've only got a couple minutes left, but go ahead. Are you there, Dave? All right, Dave, you're not really paying attention. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, uh, quickly. Go yeah, ahead. I know there's not much time, but um, North Dakota has um, a state bank, and that that could help students with student loans. Mm -hmm. That could help people in the uh, marijuana industry that don't know where to put their money. That could help uh, micro loans for mortgages and things. Um, septic tanks all over the state are are leaking, and the people don't have the money to fix them. Um, so that's one thing. Also, the utility companies, I think their profits are too high. Why do they advertise on TV? If they're, you know, if they have a public, a public um, monopoly, basically. So, you know, you can you can save people money in a lot of different ways through these ideas. Yeah. Please, please listen to the show regularly 
um, if you don't have the ideas. Yeah. Uh, Robert, appreciate that. Uh, quickly, Veronica and Kevin will have to get your responses. Uh, Veronica, you go first. Uh, first of all, he, he, I, you're correct that I don't know enough about all of the issues. I've spent 10 years working on county issues, and I'm really eager to learn about all the options because I think we have to be strategic in how we do things, and we have to get uh, the best bang out of our buck. And I really appreciate calls like this that put things on my radar that weren't necessarily on my radar before. And I am looking forward to hearing more ideas like that from residents and constituents, because I think ultimately that'll make me a better legislator. Mm. Uh, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's apparent that we have a lot of policy issues, right, that we need to address. And uh, everybody has their priorities, and and we're going to have to sit down and work on many of these issues in the coming years. The state bank is something that I've supported uh, while in the House and have actually co-sponsored legislation in the past. Uh, and I think the caller is absolutely right that um, whether it's around marijuana issues and the disconnect with, between state law and the federal law and allowing folks to have a spot to put that money here in the state, uh, student loan options, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities and actually would be a net positive, I believe, for the state at the end of the day. Uh, so I've always supported that. Uh, you know, the septic tank issue is a very important issue that I've tried to work with many different stakeholders across the state on. Uh, we see it in Macomb County on properties that are on the Clinton River um, that have been found in recent years that discharge sewage directly into the river. And it's something that we have to get a handle on. And, it, and from a policy perspective on when those inspections occur, what are the requirements for properties change hands and things like that. So there is no shortage of issues that we need to address. I'm excited to have the opportunity now to uh, work on these issues with my colleagues in Lansing uh, in a way that I think will benefit uh, the people of the state of Michigan um, like we haven't seen in, in decades. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so I'm, I'm excited for that opportunity. Okay. Uh, Kevin Hertel and Veronica Kleinfeld, it was really great to have both of you here to talk about this new Democratic majority in Lansing and the agenda. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when we're going to talk with Anika Goss of Detroit Future City about a new report they have that shows how and why businesses are interested in investing in Detroit. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.